Blog Talk Radio. Left in 2011 after 36 years in the cult, 
and we'll talk about why I think it's a cult, as well as many other people do now. Then, um, let's see, Walter and Heather and I, we made this card. Walter did the, uh, the graphics, but it's a nice, like a purplish card that, uh, postcard size, is 12-step not working for you. Empowered, not powerless solutions, secular choices are available today. And we list some of the options. I might have to updo this. but um, And then on the other side, it's got a list of books that, uh, so you, this is something you could actually hand to somebody. And the resources have The Sober Truth, The Freedom Model, Her Best Kept Secret, The U.S. of AA, The Science of Alcoholism, um, The Cure for Alcoholism, Pete Binge Drinking Now, The Prime Drinker, The Cure for Alcoholism. And uh, the Center for Motivation and Change is in New York. That's a, a good place, non-12-step. And um, there's a thing called Craft for Families, if you didn't know that. And there's the Freedom Model is out there. That's a great book, if I didn't mention that. Um, AA finally did come out with what they called the Yellow Card. Yeah, and it's pretty lame, but at least it's something. So something is better than nothing, right? All right, so that's good. Uh, hi, Cece, from Estonia, Eastern Europe. Somebody, oh yeah, you can go into the chat room if you're on your computer. I don't know how easy or hard it is to do it from your phone, but um, we have somebody in there. So hi there. I'm um, not sure why it shows my full name. I don't know either. I don't know. <laughs> so there you go. Um, I want to say hi to that person. Uh, okay, All right here we are now. I'm going to have people call in, but I want to just say that before I get into tearing up the book from 1935, there was a book that came out a couple of years ago. It's called the, not the, but U.S. of AA, How the Twelve Steps Hijacked the Science of Alcoholism by Joe Miller. Well, a uh, fantastic book. I don't know why this guy didn't get bigger, bigger book tour, but it took him five years to write it. Really important. I think it's a, as important as The Sober Truth by Lance Dodies when he wrote that as he left uh, Harvard after 35 years. So, uh, uh, you know, I thought I knew everything about the history of AA, but this one really opened my eyes. It was really quite shocking to see how government, how senators got involved and how, you know, them calling it a disease, how that happened. The other book is a biography of Marty Mann, and um, I, I read this, or actually um, my f- filmmaking uh, assistant read it, and then she would tell me, you know, like what I should read. Like she was like, oh, yeah, you better read that chapter and you better read. She would do a synopsis. And what I found out from that book was uh, the big takeaway from that was that I guess, yeah, this is the biggest one, that in the 1950s, the vice president of CBS was on Marty Mann's board. And if you didn't know this, the National Council on Alcoholism was one of the – it was like the second name that it took as a sort of hidden – Thing that she could promote Alcoholics Anonymous and she went all over the country at um, those Rotary Clubs and other things and you can see this in my film the black and white footage and um, she calls it scientific but anyway she created that and she had board members that were from CBS on her board so you know hello I don't know how we couldn't you're going to fight that one but uh, all right let's say the name of the book oh which book well, I said a lot of books. Uh, the first one is Marty Mann. You know, I could put it down in, are you on Facebook? The first one is the biography of Marty Mann. That's probably not the one you're talking about. U.S. of AA by Joe Miller. Oh, my God. It's a fast read, too. It's easy, and you're just going to be shocked. And um, I have a postcard with the other books, so we'll get back to that. 
Alrighty. Um yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? I'll put it here in the in the chat. It's called US of AA by Joe Miller. Okay, how is everybody? Man, what a horrible, horrible year with COVID uh descending upon us from China in March here and the closures in California have been absolutely inhumane, insane, and not following data, but I shouldn't really go there. Mm. Look at that. We have Valerie. Hey, I have somebody from Ireland. We've we've gone. We, we have somebody from Eastern Europe. Hello there. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you can see the chat, but uh, let's see if the names are coming in like this. Um, SD Toilet. Toilet. Oh, oh. Is this... Um, Oh, is this Susan? Hi. I think it's Susan. Hi there, Susan, if that's you. And Valerie, hello to you. And Kadrima, hello to you. Welcome, welcome. It's been very long. AA in Ireland is less severe than in America. Well, that's good, right? I'm glad to hear that. Uh, I am really glad to hear that. It's really... But, you know, after this, the one good thing about uh, the COVID lockdowns is I do think AA shrunk and it's going to shrink now i have my friend i think jacqueline's waiting there in the queue so if you can hear me just um hold on a little bit because i actually want to do like one little start with you okay we're going to do i would i might be all over the place but i'm going to start with chapter five which is one of my favorite places to tear up okay so chapter five now for those of you listening you probably all know what this is those of you don't this is something that's read like it's you're in church and that this is God speaking. I've heard people with 20, 25 years say that these were godly inspired things. Well, maybe they were stolen from other religions or something. But, um, you know, hey, he did take hallucinogens. You know, he took the belladonna as of how he really sobered up. That's Bill Wilson. And they are learning that is pretty helpful in the um people sobering up, and so he had a very strong hallucinogen, mixing with also like a a depressant, right, a relaxant, and uh, those guys slept for three days, and when they woke up, they were sober, and that was effective. I think that would be way more effective than what they do to people now. It's strange how things change, and sometimes not for the better. Mm. All right, here I go. Hold on there, Jacqueline. Maybe I bring you, bring you on. I'm bringing you on. Hey, Jacqueline. Hi, Monica. Hey, sweetie. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. So we're speaking to the I... whole the whole world is listening. <laughs> hey, everyone in the world. <laughs> well, I mean, it's fun. There. Yeah, so it's funny. I, I know some of the people there. We have people from Arkansas and people from the Eastern Europe and Valerie, who was in some of the groups. She's from Ireland. And, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's somebody here who's, she's from Eastern Europe. Um, Okay, so we'll talk. Hi, everyone. This is what I've done before. And how long do you have to stay with me? Like three minutes, five minutes? I have time. I'm good, yeah. Okay. So So I can hang in there. Very good. I actually brushed up on step five. I read the whole chapter before we got got on the phone here. (laughs) She was studying. (laughs) It it was a quick read. (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay, so rarely... Have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path? So I, I can easily stop there, and I'll say that's not true. And I've known people that have thoroughly tried it very hard, and they failed. 
And usually it was people who were the real deal. They were people who were very chronically addicted to alcohol. And those uh, feather lightweights or whatever you want to call me um, were able to stop when we decided we wanted to stop when we were done, right? And right. Um, Yeah. Um, those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not completely give themselves to this simple program. Usually men and women who are constitutionally incapable of being honest of with being themselves. honest. Yeah, yeah. Okay, this is so fucked up that we have to Which we have to divide so it up. Which means the opposite of the true of true of the people that I've met. Like it, like part of that whole step five chapter is assuming that people can't be honest with themselves, let alone another person. When in reality, I think a lot of alcoholics or my or people or people who have had drinking problems, whatever you want to call it can sometimes be too self-revelatory, both in their drinking and outside of it, and actually need to learn how to put a cap on when they tell what to whom. The book in that right. chapter, in that step, acts like it actually says you don't need to talk to a sponsor, just a trusted person. But as we both right. know, the program itself, like if, if you told, if you, for example, if you told them, yeah, I did step five, I'd talk to my therapist about it. They would totally discredit that, even though the book itself says that you can do that. And then it's like, what if you actually don't harbor all of these secrets? Then it's like you're a liar, and they assume, and they they would say that you're being institutionally or whatever incapable of being honest with yourself. Meanwhile, in step four, they just had you list a bunch of your fears, which I asked during an in-doc I went to. I'm like, okay, well, I'm afraid of lions, tigers, and bears, but I'm very unlikely to encounter one. Should I write that down? They're like, just to be safe, <laughs> yes. I'm like, we could oh be my here God. all day. <laughs> How old were you when you did that? I was like 22 or something, and I just went through my old memory box and found this guide to humility that they gave me that was, by the way, written by, like, the oh, first no. Catholic priest to recover. And in there, yeah. it's saying, like, the key to humility is to avoid curiosity, to, like, basically relish when being despised. Yeah, uh, yeah that's pretty bad. Yeah. Um, to not yeah, yeah, yeah. So love. Th- this one, oh, my God. Th- this, uh... Those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not. So it's saying to you that you have to really throw yourself into this program, right? That that's those who do not recover, yeah, but you're at fault because you can't like throw yourself in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's really like each time I've done it over the years, like uh, it, it's just amazing how much more stupidity I see. But I think the one that's really most horrific is saying that incapable who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves and then it says they are such an unfortunate they're not at fault though okay they go back and forth they seem to have been born that way now that one really like pisses me <laughs> off and i'm like nobody is born with not being able to be honest with themselves like nobody is it's born like the a- opposite we have to teach yeah. children to to not say to the lady in front of them at the grocery store you're fat so actually, all children are born very honest. We grow out yes, of honesty, son, so how could somebody be born that way? It makes absolutely no sense. And you know what right. else? If in right. step three we admitted to a higher power that we are what we give our care and our will over to the a person to, to our higher power, then why in step five do we need to reveal any of this information to anybody other than God? Oh, but you know what? They cover that with a caveat in step five. That makes no sense. It's like, well, because you still have to tell someone. It's like, well, wait a minute. If we're really in tune with our higher power at this point, why do we need to do this, this gutting and trust 
another person who we don't really know who could be a narcissist, controlling, abusive, psychopath, and the right. new addict, and then they push you to do these steps really fast while at the same time saying, it's like they're saying, hurry up and take your time to do these steps. It's like, and it's all depending right. on who you ask. So there's no uniformity whatsoever. And each time right. you work the steps, it's a completely different experience with a totally different person. Right. When you went, did you just first start doing them? Or did it take a while for you to do them? Like, you no, know, how I fast did you I dive in? I went when I was 15. I went, started, well, my parent, my mother started taking me because she was doing the thing. Oh. So before I ever became a drinker, I was being dragged to these meetings. So it was like almost like church oh. as a kid. And then I sort of yeah. grew up into it. And what did I really go for? I went as a social outlet <laughs> to find other oh. people. I oh. went to, and then when I really started drinking severely, I guess, or severely is really, by the way, relative to each experience. But when I right, really right. finally got to a place where I was like, okay, it's getting real. Then I started doing the steps and I went to an in-doc, which was a three-day, eight-hour-a-day thing where at the very end, a lady came with like circus stuff and was doing fire. The pizza was cold before we could eat it because they were like making us go through this whole process, right? And this guy got like on his hands and knees and was like having the most, in my opinion, fake spiritual epiphany because a lot of it is built around social pressure. So none of it is really authentic or real. <clears throat> that was my only time actually going through the process of the steps. The rest of the time was just meeting interesting characters along the way and nothing but honestly bad people looking back from the experience. I didn't really meet, I mean, all the people that I, that I met that I found to be good and true people are no longer in AA, so. Yeah, so I, let me just, just go in. Yeah, yeah, I, I did it right away, but I don't want to talk about me just a second because there's actually a lot of people in the chat. It's, I want to thank you all for joining me tonight and join uh, Jacqueline with me. Uh, my friend, who we still haven't met in person, but we've discovered each other. We live at least in the same city, but there's people commenting here. And um, so one of them is a woman that I know who's from Arkansas. We've talked many times on the phone. Um, Valerie, we've talked many times through chat. And then um, a woman, uh, Kadrima, from uh, Estonia, who is talking about some violent uh, AA groups in the East where she wanted to do some kind of, yeah, I, I probably should leave that as personal. But um, Susan is saying this is a classic example of victim shaming. If a person can't get sober with them, it is the person's fault, not the part of the program. Yeah, that's so typical, isn't it, Jacqueline, to do that, right? People are just that whole victim of blaming that if you, if if you, you know, it's uh, it's strange, strange, strange place. Uh, but I want to go forward. So the, we've got over that. This they're going to tell you though, but they and I want to say this that they every meeting is it, this is read as if it is. Um, we're in church, right? And it goes on, you know, for two pages, and then the top of the second, and then they stop, like after they go. And then they ask if for he money. were sought, God could and would if he were sought, right? In Hawaii, where I got sober, um, it, they did not read this before every meeting. They read the preamble, which we might get to or may not, and then they read the steps, and that was it. But it, it's real. There's such crap here. Um, okay, here we go. Their chances are less than average. There are those, too, who suffer from grave emotional and mental disorders, but many yeah. of them do recover if they have the capacity to be honest. Okay, so now we're, now we're leaving out all kinds of help that exists today, whether it is um, medicine, um, 
whether it's psych medicine, it could be cognitive behavioral cannabis. therapy, it could actually be plant-based medicine. What? Go ahead. Sorry, I didn't hear you. What did you say? Yeah, like cannabis, mm-hmm. which they don't allow in their program. So all these alternatives. Plus, you can't. They'll say, well, statistically, this is the hot, the best way to get sober, but there's no way to measure the people who walk away from AA and get sober. Like, so where, how are we able, where are we, where is the statistic coming from? There's no way to quantify the experience. How many of these people are true alcoholics? I think some people that come in are not actually true to the bone, pure alcoholics. I think they're people with drinking problems. And in their own literature somewhere, it says basically like a person who is a real alcoholic, in my opinion, wouldn't be able to go through a pregnancy sober, wouldn't be able to go through their their career and pull it off at any point during the day, right? So there, so these would be of the problem drinking variety, in my opinion, not true alcoholics. So of course, this socialite program might work for people who aren't really true alcoholics, but often it doesn't work for the people who suffer the most. Right, right, and, and so it doesn't bother you to use that word still, the word alcoholic. What alcoholic? Yeah. Well, I think that like the I think alcoholic is a self-identified. I mean, if a person every day I lost my brother-in-law this year, he died of alcoholism. Yeah. If you read the death certificate, it's going to say. I mean, that is literally. So I think that a true alcoholic is probably physically addicted to alcohol or can't function. I mean, they're ha- or what else? Or what is that person? But do I think it's a disease? Well, well, no, no, no. Just just as far as language, like so, one of the things, yeah, they might they might put alcoholism, or they actually could put substance abuse or alcohol abuse disorder. So there are new new words and new language that's used around it. But I was curious because, you know, you are whip smart, and you but you are around it. So I'm just finding out now. I, I didn't know the part about your mother dragging you there, right, uh, and taking you, you know, and you're sitting in those meetings so young. But subs- so one of the things that I kept trying to do in my deprogramming of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous was people said to me, it's a lot is about language. And I was I would listen to other people talk, especially when I interviewed them, and I was like, whoa, whoa, that sounds like really cool, like they're using other words in these new words. Because when you're in a cult, like that is one of the markers of a cult, right, that you use this language. And so one of the first words, which now is a big buzzword, which is problematic, right? Everybody uses the word problematic. But I think Stephen Slate, no one was using the word problematic. And then it's like kind of slipped their way into, into government and politics, I started hearing it. But it was problematic, alcohol use. But there is a, a definition, and it's now alcohol use disorder or AUD and, or substance use disorder. And, you know, not that I necessarily like the disorder label either, but there's problematic alcohol use. And then there are people who are addicted, like you're saying. I'm so sorry, the loss of your – is this your brother-in-law you just said? That? You My brother-in-law and I lost a really close friend this year physically addicted to the same thing so it you're yeah. right about that because because really you sad. know what blanket stating the word alcoholic across every single person yeah. is not ideal like there's levels to this there's more intricate right. levels to it and stuff you right, know right yeah there's like problematic use there's uh, people who self-medicate like when i left like one of the good things that i think i was lucky that i had kevin or my husband you know, to go on this, and I won't call it a journey, right? Because uh, that word, you know, is tainted with other flavors now because my husband's listening, but, <laughs> and he knows the inside joke. <laughs> but, but, you know, is that um, that on the way out, like, I began to see that I had a story that I told in AA, right? So I had identified with behavior that went as far back as 12 or 13 years old. But, you know, which is kind of, you know, uh, you know it is what it is. 
But when I finally left and I told the story, I said, you know, I was drinking problematically and I was self-medicating. And that's it. I had trauma. I had uh, sexual trauma as a teenager. I had other trauma that I don't want to get to now, but this is like the language was freeing. It wasn't, and I had to like stop myself. And I, and and I remember even asking, you know, um, my husband's his story and hearing him tell his story, and um, and seeing, you know, how we all just went in there and really 90% really don't even belong there. But let's go back. So I wanted to cover the lies. Okay, the lies that are in here. Um, those two who suffer, or like I said that, our stories disclose in a general way what we used to be like, what happened, and what we're like now. Now, the stories, uh, okay, whatever. If you have decided, and this was a big thing, right? Was this the thing in an AA for you too when they say, you know, once you have made the decision, and I really bought into this shit uh, for many decades, you want, if you want what we have, and are willing to go to any lanes to get it, then you are ready to take certain steps. Mm, whatever. At some of these we balked. We thought we could find an easier, softer way. Well, whatever. That's like totally victim shit. You know, it's a, a whole kind of mishigash going on there. Mind-fucking, we could call it too. But we could not. With all the yeah, earnestness like at our I command. Yeah, as if I have nothing to offer. As if it's saying, yeah. I have nothing to offer. So if you want what we have, meaning, well, what about what I bring to the table here? Kind of a thing. Well, then they say the newcomer is the most important person, but not really. Yeah. Right, right. And I saw that really deteriorate. So when I went in 1975, I was I just turned 18, and people were really kissing people's asses. You know, as you arrived, they wanted you to, to join. The AA was at a total flatlining, which I learned from Gabrielle Glaser that, you know, um, it, it was uh, – AA had really dipped in the 60s, and then they sent all their minions out to grade schools, and I was in one of them, and they did all their, you know, proselytizing – and then a, and they got into Hollywood, and there were these b- couple of big TV shows. They got on All My Children, and they got they did a movie called uh, I was a Teenage Alcoholic. Said so my name is Sarah T, which I saw both of those things. And then um, AA made this very very steep growth in the 1970s. And now people were much nicer. They were much softer with their tactics. I was not in California, which is very hardcore because Clancy was here in Los Angeles, and he influenced the whole the color of Alcoholics Anonymous here in California. Oh. <laughs> Right, I mean, uh, yeah, I know about and, that uh, guy. You got to wear a dress, clean up his dog poop in his yard before you're allowed. <laughs> There's a whole yeah, yeah. Did you go in here? Is that where you went? To I your went first to the specific group at some point, and some lady was like, "You have to wear oh a dress God. in order to speak at the meeting." And I was like, "Why would I do that? If I if I should be able to wear whatever I feel comfortable wearing in order to speak." And I felt like, frankly, you take someone who's like a wallflower. So maybe some people drink. At least I did out of social fearness. Social. Like, it wouldn't seem like I would be a person that's shy, but actually, if you put me in a room with 20 people, I'm going to be, like, in the corner up against it, right? So when I came into AA, I was – and also with just the rawness of being sober and not having the filter of alcohol in my system to communicate with other people freely, it wasn't really easy for me to walk up to some lady and be like, hi, will you help me? But you know what? Before I had yeah. a chance to gain the courage to do that, I had 50 men approaching me to get my number and take me to wow. Taco Bell to talk, <laughs> you know? So oh, I was yeah, yeah. By men young. never approached by women. And then when I would, they would either have a sort of like military approach with me or an indifference. I had one lady try to get me to get on my hands and knees and pray to God in an empty parking lot. Car oh was just no, not that I'm hating, but her <laughs> car was filled with hoarding stuff. Like she was living in it. And I was oh, like, Lord. I don't want what you have. 
So, uh, yeah, it almost felt like you had to chase people. So it sounds like from when you went, it, 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 you, you watched the whole thing unfold, really. Yeah. Yeah, we watched actually rehab begin to influ- AA influenced and created the rehabs. And then, I mean, they did it really from the beginning. I didn't know that Bill Wilson uh, created that first one in Connecticut right, right now. The rehab the, industry. The name is- yeah, but no, he really did. He was involved with that big one, that white something farm. I, I can't think of the name, but there's some kind of farm name in there. Um, and uh, yeah, he helped create that. He probably was there as you know, Mr. God, Bill Wilson. But uh, you know, I, I I know a guy who I actually spoke to this guy a lot. He lives in Long Island. When I was first doing research for the film, who met Bill Wilson, and he said, yeah, it was just uh, they really had to have a squad around him to protect him from going after newcomers. And it got really bad as he got older because you know, nobody talks about them getting senile, but he must have been getting weird. Anyway, um, yeah, so uh, it says that we beg of you to be fearless and thorough from the very start. Some of us have tried to hold on to our old ideas. And the result was nil until we let go. Absolutely. Now, this is something that gets really um, used uh, against people, some of us. So that's like, oh, that's an old idea, right? Like, like you got to get uh, let go. You get to, that's an old idea. That's an old idea. Did you get that? I mean, that was something I heard. No, like if actually, you said what something, I got a lot of cliches. You have to give. I got. You have to give your will and yourself over to this program as if you. And they, after they gave me the, the the lesson on humility, which was really about humiliation, they then followed yeah. up with, okay, so we're about to get into the work now. It's kind of like if you if your life depended on you signing a contract that you couldn't read. And you had to sign it with yeah. your blood. Would you be willing to do that to live? And I raised my hand and I was like, no. I was like, I, I would never. Because <laughs> I used to, I was in marketing before this, and I was a salesperson at the time right. that, you know, unfortunately, unscrupulously would sometimes sell people things. And you know, the contract was a big part of their mistake in the purchase. So I was like, no, I would never not read a contract that's like you really should definitely read contract i mean like what if part of the thing is to like sacrifice your kids or or divorce your partner or and a lot of them do they they in the in their process will encourage you to like leave your family members like they they can yeah. create a lot of dysfunction in the family through their yep. advice so i was like no oh, i'm yeah. not going to give my and if you don't give your will over or it, even if you tr- if you try and fail it's because you didn't give your will over all the way it's not right, for right, any right. Other reason just that you didn't try yeah. hard enough. So if you take a perfectionist mindset, a lot of people I think who have issues with, or you know, what was what did we alcohol abuse disorder? Yeah, or substances. People who yeah. have or substance, whatever. <laughs> sometimes I, I've met, I've noticed that a lot of these people are perfectionists, right? So or or people who, or at least I was an overachieving perfectionist. How many times have we heard that story in the rooms of AA, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Um, so you tell a perfectionist who's who's definitely trying super hard that they're just not trying hard enough. It's like, wow, I feel like this is why I drank in the first place. So thank you for for reinforming me that I fail at everything I try to do. I'm gonna have a drink tonight about that, and see you guys tomorrow, and we'll try again. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it, it's pretty bad. I, 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 so here, so we have to like absolutely remember uh, that we deal with alcohol, and this is so bad. Um, and uh, we deal with alcohol, cunning, baffling, and powerful. And the way people would read it, I swear to God, when we did the reenactment, and I had a friend read this who was around AA but wasn't in it, and I had to tell her that she had to do certain words like in a certain way, right? 
because they really did slow down and say these things like in cunning, baffling, powerful. So once again, they're just giving alcohol all this power. And really, the the alcohol, the companies loved this about AA. So some of the history of that, oh, my God, now it's not demon rum. It's demon you. You're the drunk. (laughs) It's your fault because you're selfish and self-centered, honest. And so you're the fuck up. You're the reason that you're an alcoholic, not demon rum, because rum was bad, right? We had the whole 13 years of prohibition that women were like, alcohol is evil, evil, and it went on and on and on. You know what I mean? And now it's and so, the individual. Now it's you. Yep. Now it's you. And there's some really crazy history of how, I don't know if we need to go into it now, but some of it I really learned, like some of it I learned while I was doing the film and some after I left. Like here's one crazy thing. So Bill Wilson wrote postcards to some 250,000 doctors to buy the book. And at the time, doctors were very heavy drinkers and smokers, okay, back in 1935. They were all sitting there. It's a typical picture. In fact, doctors, you could find ads. Those were really funny ads of doctors smoking camels going, this is really good, good They probably for did you, a better you know? job. They probably did a better <laughs> job. They were more relaxed. And they probably did do a better job. Yeah. And so they sent that out. And on top of it, so then alcohol becomes legal in 33. AA gets formed in 1935 because the Oxford movement was created by Frank Buckman, who was a Hitler um, admirer, we'll say. He was really that. And they had to separate themselves from him and from the Oxford groups, like they really had to do it, like or, or you know things were looking pretty bad. So if they wanted to move forward, they had to do it. Um, and so, uh, well, I'm just going to dive right back in here. And so it says, without help, it is too much for us, right? But there is one who is all power. That one is God. May you find him now. Okay. So what happens to the person who doesn't believe that, or maybe tries that and it doesn't work, right? Uh, and so half measures availed us nothing. Everybody was like, oh, half measures, half measures, Jacqueline, right? Did you ever hear that? Yeah, if it's not working, that's, oh, all the time. I heard it a lot. Every time I asked a question that was, um, I mean, when I started going in and reading the safety pamphlet, because that was at the very end, and I got married, and my husband was really like, no, you know, this is crazy, and I'm like, yeah, I kind of feel it is. Let's go together and read the safety manual. So he would go with me and we would go to these meetings and sit down and read the safety manual. And when I would do that and I would be like, you know, because I'm like, let's face it, there's predators in here. We have to. But it, but the thing is, it doesn't matter if the person's a, a, a seven time convicted rapist. They'll just say, well, we've all got we all come to the table with problems. It's like, well, I don't I'm not coming to the table with that problem. So. No, I, I think that we need to make sure, you know, maybe just make a special meeting for the rapists and the convicted pedophiles and those people. Maybe we can just make special meetings for them, just like we have men's meetings and women's meetings. But no, so when I realized that they were never going to do anything actually actively to get the unsafe people out, that's when I really started just being done. And I mean, I had some other bad experiences. I met that rehab mogul, Chris Batham who's in jail now forever because oh, wow. he raped so many women in rehab. I actually went oh to my that God. guy's house. You met him? I met wow. him because I, yeah, because I had a bunch, I had friends that worked for him and the friend that I had that was working for him was like, they're just doing nothing but a bunch of insurance fraud. 
to, they totally thought the guy was creepy. And when I went to the guy's house, I, I didn't believe my boyfriend at the time, who was also not a good guy, but whatever. Yeah, I didn't, yeah, he was yeah. like, no, no, no. Cause I was going to offer to babysit the guy's kids. Cause I went to the, his house to pick up a check. I'm like, this guy's got money. I bet I could be his nanny. He's like, no, you don't want to be the guy's nanny. And I realized he was right. Cause when I got there, the guy's just repetitively throwing knives against his a, a wall. His children are like quiet and, and oddly, oddly ghost-like and meek. I mean, there's no other way to, to express that. Oh God. I actually went to a meeting where he talked and he was saying a bunch of cracked out stuff that makes no sense. I couldn't even, I couldn't even repeat it because it, it literally, it was just, it was, I tuned it out. It was just ranting. And, and he was allowed to do it because at the very end, he serves a big platter of food and then some poor people he would sponsor so that they got to be in this nice big Malibu house. And they all kept everything he was doing a secret because they were never able to live such a, I guess, privileged lifestyle. So a lot of people were willing to overlook this of that. And I had, you know, a guy share a, a, a tape of me, you know, a, a fun tape, right? And a group filled with people in AA who all degraded and humiliated me in the comment section. So it was like somewhere between that, that, and that, that I was like, yeah, this, not only have I been sitting around the meetings for like 15 years at this point, because I went when at 16, I'm like, well, no, not yet. maybe 12 years, wow. okay? Wow, so it's kind of recent uh, that you left, right? I mean, uh, he's went into jail. Uh, no, around the time I met, I started talking to you. So I watched your film. Yeah. I kind of, I started realizing it was ridiculous. Uh, I, your film helped me a lot. And then I just was, oh, after that, that after those experiences, I was just done. I was like, I don't care. Yeah. Good, if it helps some people, great. I guess that I'm incapable of being honest with myself, and I'm a moral degenerate then. But then fine, let's just do that. I also hated the aspect where like like even the Al-Anon program and I'm not like versed in it very much but it seems like part of that program kind of tells people to walk away from their loved ones and my yeah. husband sat with me one day and he said if 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 the, if the drinker is just wallowing in their own mess right and they're not really stealing from you or hurting of course they might be a burdensome person but it's almost like don't they deserve to be loved it's almost yeah. like the program says that everybody should abandon you and walk away from you if it's not working for yeah. you or you're struggling to yeah, figure yeah, it yeah. out. But you know what? You know what? Though, thank you for sharing all that. You know, it, it really, the thing is though, is that they did not do that back then. Okay, so his wife Lois never left Bill Wilson. All his fooling around with lots of women, having the girlfriend who was the secretary for years, that they did not throw their men away. <laughs> There was no tough love. I don't know where that shit came from that, you know, later, later from some of these crazies who didn't think AA was tough enough, you know, maybe the, the Narcan, what is it, those other programs that, you know, kind of spun in the 50s. But they were, they were there for them. I mean, they would even say, like, don't tell them to quit smoking because it might set them off, you know, that stupid chapter. Uh, like, to the, the wives wives chapter. Right, right. That was written yeah. by a man pretending to be a woman. He wouldn't even let her write it. Because there's a balance oh, really? here, by the way, between, between oh, yeah, that chapter is written by, um, by him pretending to be her. He didn't even let her write it. So women were a lot less empowered than they are now. And we have to acknowledge also that there's a balance between being a walk-on and letting an asshole a drug addict or a person who's got bad behavioral issues stay in your life forever versus standing by and loving somebody who has a problem. And then sometimes I wonder, and this is just a thought, if maybe the program works, works the best for people who, ha who, are, who maybe have just personality issues. So maybe it's not really to help a drinker. <laughs> 
but maybe just a person who has a hard time being a good person. But it's really possible to be a drinker and still actually be a really good person and not right. have a bunch of filthy secrets to reveal unless it's like, oh, I was molested. Like, but that, why that? Yeah. And then it, even if you do that, you have to find your fault in it. It's like, what exactly? Oh, is, that stuff oh, was terrific. Oh, my God, yeah. Jacqueline. When I, I was in the first blog, which was Thinking Thinking, people would talk about these stories, and I had not ever heard anyone do that, like, you know, anyone who had been abused as a child um, ever been faulted, like, you know, that it was your fault. And there was stuff on the Internet where a speaker was going off. It finally got removed. But I have heard, you know, and that was probably in the last 20, it could be the last 20 or 30 years where that kind of stuff started happening. But it was just disgusting. I mean, how could, I mean, it just makes no sense. But it's it's part of every cult, You they blame you. Like, it come, it, whether it's the Nexium cult or Scientology or what what are some of the early ones uh, um, where it's like you have a part in it. It's just that it is it's not just AA, although AA is old. It's like 35. It's like, well, what's your part in it? And if you watch some, what was that one? Um, there was a show that I watched where she gets up. Oh, is Kevin in there? I think he's still listening. Um, was it was it the Nick? 1901, you know, this horrific butcher hospital in lower Manhattan. It was really a hospital and she, her father is a preacher, and she, it's called, they stood up. It was a type of re- religious, you know, that whole thing that those movements of these little, you know, made-up religions that would spark up, and they would stand up and confess, like, I stole, you know, uh, for the last five years, and I'm a this and that. And, and from that bur- unburdening, they call it, I think, themselves, that they were then free from the evil within, and they were blessed then by some idiot, you know, pastor up there. Not he wasn't even a pastor. He was like a self-proclaimed minister, right, Kevin? I mean, isn't that what went on, I think? But, um, you know, back to Chris Batham, uh, I went to, not the sentencing, what happens when they first, all the charges, like once they are found like guilty? Like the arraignment? Oh, my God. So I had been following that. And, you know, because he did that whole 2020. They they were supposed to do yeah. my film, and then they dropped me, and they did him. And I was so glad that what? they told his story because it really helped catch him because he was so arrogant. And I sat there, and they had, like, I don't, I don't even know how many women's pictures of how many people he raped and sexually assaulted. It was, like, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I mean, I think it was, like, 30 or 40 and there were girls, there were people crying, like, in the front, you know, and the, the, the sentencing took so long. And I think he still hasn't had his trial for the $168 million in health care fraud that he did. That was the big thing that my – that was what made my friend that worked there want to walk away because he was like, I didn't really understand what the – how the health care fraud that he was doing was crippling individuals but I was told that it was all I know is that the guy was very weird, definitely an opportunist who was on drugs the whole time and was a criminal before he started his rehab. But again, remember in AA, it doesn't matter. So it's like there, there are things in my opinion that you really can't be forgiven from. So just because you confess that you did something horrifying doesn't mean you should automatically be absolved. Like I had a person that I knew who confessed to me, he'd raped a woman. He shared that with his sponsor and uh, had to make the amends. Well, you know what? Maybe just leave the lady alone. So he tracked mm-hmm. the girl down that he raped to apologize to her for raping her. She was like, cool. Fuck. Off. Like, sorry if I can't use that word, but she was like, goodbye, dude. I don't want to like, I don't ever want to talk to you again. 
And he somehow gets to walk away feeling free of what he did to this woman because he apologized to her and he did his step and he made amends. And it's like, yeah, no, he probably, he probably you live didn't with that feel, for the rest of your life. No, yeah, no, it's a sick, it's a really sick place. Uh, um, let's, you know, I don't really want to, um, we could look at the steps here, but it, it isn't really the, the juiciest part, you know, um, Let's see. Half measures availed us nothing. We stood at the turning point. We, blah, blah blah blah. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol, and our lives had become unmanageable. So you can tell. I want to know what you think. But when I first got to A, I had quit on my own, and I was two weeks without any alcohol. When I met Tom, who I met on the beach, and I would call him my my whatever, my Eskimo, and um, he was the carrier of the AA message to me, right? And so I said, well, I cannot do the first part of that first steps because I was not powerless over alcohol because I quit. That was it. Now, my life had become unmanageable. It wasn't unmanageable at the time, but there was a number of years where it was I dropped out of high school, and, you know, it, my life was it was difficult, right? Okay. So right. Did you, could you take the first part of the first half of the first step? Or it did not make sense to you either. Did I lose uh, you? Well, I I under I did feel that I had you know I I will say that when I have when I I'm, I'm the type of person that you know doesn't want to have two drinks. Mm-hmm. Probably never will want to have two drinks because it doesn't it just doesn't. So I do think there are people who once they begin drinking or binge drinking they can't stop until they're blacked out, passed out, or whatever, or vomiting and retching. So powerlessness over the substance of alcohol, yeah, I could see that. Unmanageable life, too, for sure. And then what is the second step, though? Came to believe in okay, a power so greater you, than so itself. So for you, that, that, was a, that was a problem. Okay, so the second one is came to but believe But I don't think that the, the solution is in, is in necessarily a concept of spirituality. I think it's in cognitive behavioral therapy or, or getting out and na- or change. You know, there's, so there's a number of ways to, do, to, to, to take power back. So it's like take uh-huh. the power back, right? I, I don't feel like psilocybin or ayahuasca. Psilocybin or ayahuasca are proving a big point, as we see in John Hopkins and in the um, there's a um, the brain. What's it called? Oh, it's Kevin. I'm Kevin, I know you're not on the phone here, but I think of you. And then, so where I had my brain surgery, they have a clinic, and now they're they're doing studies, and they've been doing it for a year with psilocybin, proving that it is curing alcohol use disorder, curing. It like definitely helps. I've taken mushrooms before and then looked at my cigarette and been like, this is poison. So, yeah, I think microdosing on mushrooms for me, also one of the hard things was I felt like, okay, so in order to regain so that powerlessness, yeah, I feel that. But I think that the cannabis use that I – because I was never really a big marijuana smoker. I was the type of person that would much prefer a drink. Getting stoned gave me anxiety, right? So I had to actually commit to being a marijuana smoker. Once I committed to doing that, I realized that a lot of my issues were coming from radical anxiety, also trauma, perfectionism, maybe some obsessive tendencies towards cleaning and searching for just weird behaviors, okay? Eccentricities Mm -hmm. is what I like to call them, by the way. I don't even really like Mm -hmm. the labels of anxiety, depression, and OCD. Let's call it just eccentric, okay? So I had some eccentric qualities. Yeah, yeah, or neurotic. That's more empowering. Neurotic, right. And cannabis, actually, is what ended up helping me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I know we talked about only a short time, but where you're going along here, is it still okay? I know you have your little guy there. Are you okay to keep going, or do you need to go? I mean, I'm cool to keep going, but I don't want to take on, take the whole, you know what I mean? If you, if so, but he, 
Well, here's what I want to do. Like, stay on the phone here a second. So I have people in the queue, but I'm not. Um, I see Kevin in, and he probably. Oh no! Yeah, that's box. cool. I I can go, roll in, side, and let you take another call. But it's been gra- okay. radical talking to you. Oh, it's been really fun. I was having fun talking to you. You don't you don't need to go unless you have to go. Okay. But no, but yeah, I want to cool to stay for a little bit. Okay, stay on the stay on the phone. Hold on a second. So what I'm going to say to you guys who are listening, if you are in the queue, do me a favor. Hang up and call back, and that will be your message to me. Because there's no like way of raising your hand here. It would be this is so old-fashioned. This this whole system in here. But if you could hang up and call back, and that means you actually want to say something, you want to comment, or you want to ask a question. So there's just two numbers. One is Kevin's, and one I don't recognize. Uh, oh, maybe that is. Oh, you know what? Maybe there is. Uh, hold on a second. That might be. No, I don't think it's Walter. Okay, Walter was going to call in, um, but uh, they can you can hang up and call back, and then I'll know I can see your numbers that you want to talk. All right, so if you want to call in, we've just been like jabbering on here, girl. We could be we could you and I could be like freaking Abbott and Costello here. Now eight one eight four seven five ninety two eleven. You know, Kevin and I watched it. We were we were so depressed about all this stuff, and so one of Kevin's best buddies came over, and we actually watched Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein. And it really stood up. I mean, we were laughing, and it is like really funny and old school. And there was no AA in it, and there was nothing about COVID, <laughs> and nothing about you know government. And we really had a lot of fun. <laughs> it's nice to anyway, take a little break from the yeah. We got to take a break going um, on in the world and the AA. Okay. So let's talk that whole thing you were talking about. Those guys who you know do things and admit whatever. Um, oh wait, here I just got a message. Let's see. Um, introduce your guest again. Oh, okay. This is Jacqueline, right? Jacqueline is my friend. Yes, Jacqueline. Um, Jacqueline is a except for he's like introduce your guest again, and I'm like yes, honey, I'm doing that right now. But he's very good. Like when I first started this, he goes, well, you know, you have to do that like every 15 minutes so people know who you're talking to, and that's a great idea. I'm Monica Richardson, and um, well, there's somebody who's got like a one 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 number. No, I'm not answering that. Okay. That's from your another country, I think. Oh, is it? Oh, it could be. All right. I'll just say this one thing, and then maybe I'll take the call. And um, you can stay on the line if you want, just in case. Um, but here, here's the part it says um, about principles, right? Where it says many of us exclaimed, "What an order! I can't go through with it. Do not be discouraged." No one among us has been able to maintain anything like perfect adherence to these principles. We are not saints. Oh, my God, how many bad guys use this? The point is that we're willing to grow along spiritual lines. The principles we have set down are guides to progress. We claim spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection. So it's almost like that whole thing of, like, when they want to beat you up and you have to do it this way, this way, and this way, it's their way. But when they want an out, that's that's just a paragraph on page That's 16. their perfect out. So it's a it's a program that's that's filtered through a cycle of manipulation. Mm-hmm. And all that matters is that you stay sober their way and then tout right. whatever. So as long as you be a good indoctrinated, what's it called? Like when you when you become a religious person that goes door to door and you're like you're, you're spreading the word, prophet, yeah, proselytizing, proselytizing. Okay, so yeah. as long as you're doing that. You can be yeah. the boogeyman, and it really doesn't matter. But if you're a person that's actually trying to live a humble, normal life, and you're just be and you're being rigorously honest by, so part of it was like, okay, so you're supposed to be rigorously honest. Okay, well that means that I have to raise my hand at every meeting and ask like all these again the word problematic these problematic questions because you don't like my question. 
So right, right. now I'm the bad guy. So it's like in order for me to be rigorously honest, right, right, right. then I have right. to be rigorously honest about the parts of this stuff that doesn't make sense. And if I do yes. that, you guys just shut me down and tell me to stick the cotton out of my ears oh my or mouth and put it in my ears. But it's like how can I truly understand this program if I'm not allowed to question anything or if my questions are too triggering to you guys. So my questions about your program are more triggering than maybe the pedophile to the right of you that's proselytizing or whatever, everything right, you right, guys, right. parroting everything you want to say. That's one of the biggest hypocrisies of the whole shebang. Very good. Okay, hold on now. I think Heather is out there. And then this other number. I'm going to take these calls. So I'm going to just okay. put you on hold. Okay? Oh my cool. God, thank you so much, Jacqueline. I'm going to put you, I think, on hold. Thank or you. I'm going to try. Or if I go like this, it might hang you up. I don't know. You want to still okay. listen, right? Yeah, let me see. Yeah, okay, I'm going to go like that. All right. Okay. So here we go. Hi, this is Monica. Hello. You're, you're calling. Hi, is this Heather? Yeah, it's Heather. Hi. Hi, you're live. <laughs> you're talking to. All over the world. We're from all the way from here to New York to Eastern Europe to, and we have Valerie's on. I'm sorry that I didn't know it was you. So how are you? Well, that's okay. It's I'm I'm great. I'm great. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> that was good. A, good. I loved her. I loved your discussion just now. That was so enlightening. Honestly, that was really great. Oh, good. Yeah, she's really funny to talk to. She's really been fun for me to have here to um, commiserate with, you know. Now, you have probably yeah. something, what, what would you like to say? Well, I know you probably have something good. Yeah, well, good. this is what I'm thinking of. We're talking about lies of, lies of the big book or whatever. I'm yes. thinking uh-huh. the thing that really threw me when I was in the program was the promises. The yeah. promises. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> right. So I feel like, okay, the 12 promises of AA. I, just, I had to Google that because it's been so long since I actually had, you know, a big book in my hand. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. Years. Yeah. But, you know, I'm not going to read through all of them because there's so many of them. But it's like, number one, if we are painstaking about this phase in our development, we will be amazed before our before we are halfway through. Um, we are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity. And basically, for a person like me, who at the time was really, my problem was depression, that mm-hmm. was like an amazing thing to hear. You know, that mm-hmm. was like, mm-hmm. wow, this program will give me all that as long as I do yeah. everything they said to do. That <laughs> mm-hmm. so I can get, yeah. you know, I will, all of this will be lifted. And that is really a deceptive thing to tell someone right. who's, who's, you know, who's, who's feeling depressed, basically. I was in my 20s, right? So it was really something that should have been treated, not, right. Right. not in the program, right, or not through your God or whatever. But in the end, that's really what, um, that's really what made me, realize that the whole thing was a lie because after so many years of you know working the steps and doing everything they said going to meetings sponsoring people um you know the whole rigmarole thing of it the whole you know um wheel of it you know to to not really feel those things it made me go you know what this is just this is just bullshit 
Yeah, I think it's a lot like EST or Landmark or Scientology where, and I felt that way too. I know you were in many years, right? How many years again? I was in. You... I wasn't in as many years as you were. I were. I was in for about eight years, maybe okay, a little bit less long... than eight, but really throughout my twenties. So it's it, it's a decade of my, you know. Yeah, it's, very... it's a really special decade, um, right? It's just a, the twenties. Yeah, 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 exactly. But I mean, it's still a, it's a years. It's like not like six months or a couple of years. It's eight years. It's a very long time too. But I also felt it yeah. too. Like I had. Yeah, I think it's kind of disgusting, but it is very much like any of those other things that if you do this, then you're going to experience this, this, and this, especially more cult-like places like Scientology. Like, And it was, I think, one of the things when, and I had already been out, but when when Aaliyah Remini's mother um, talked about she went to the bridge, you know, like she got all the way up there. Did you watch all those episodes on A&E? About Scientology no. and Leah Remini. No, no, we should go back and watch oh that. Oh my now. God! You, you know what? They're available now. I think on uh, either Amazon or Netflix. But it was wild because she said like nothing happened. <laughs> like she had been in it all these years. I mean, I shouldn't be laughing, but you know. And then she got to this place, <laughs> yeah. it was like, and it was like nothing. And it kind of reminded me when I was like 25 years sober, and I was like, like this kind of feels like a big heavy chain. Like that guy in uh, the movie that my husband loves so much with, um, you know, about uh, uh, the Christmas Carol, right? You know, when he has to carry the chains around <laughs> when he's, right. like, going into hell, <laughs> right. right? Like the Christmas yes, past yeah, yeah. or whatever. You know, that it felt like I had this big medallion around my neck, and I was like, wait a minute, like, it's really been easy to stay sober, and my life started getting smaller and smaller and smaller, and God started getting smaller. And I started to really wonder yeah, about what yeah. God was, even though I had such great faith and loved, you know, my relationship with a God, right? And I started to go like, wait, what the f- is going on here, you know? Yeah. But, um, yeah. wow. <laughs> well, I mean, I felt like doing in it. the very beginning when, you know, when you stop using or you stop drinking or whatever, for me, like, yeah, there was a period of, you know, of feeling light light-footed and, like, you know, there a lot of problems have been lifted and all that stuff. But I felt like after years, it did start to become, like, this heavy weight on me. And I just – I did feel like I was in chains. And I just felt like, you know, the meetings and the and the phone calls and the sponsoring and, the like, everything all the time, it was just, you know, and this is somehow supposed to set me free. <laughs> and it was just – it was yeah. making it worse and worse, you know. <laughs> so at some point, I was just like – I was just like – at some point, I'm like, this is just make this is turning my life into a living hell, and so <laughs> these promises are obviously not, you know, this is obviously just not true at all. <laughs> and then if no, you've no, been in it for a while, people who are really into it, they start saying, hey, if this doesn't work for you, go to this group and go to this group. So soon you're going right. to AA, NA, yeah. you know, um, like adult children of alcoholics, and you know, I don't know, like all the all the other brands branches off that, you know, you can possibly go to and you spend like every every non work hour of your day in some kind of twelve step group or yeah. on a phone call with the with the you know, with someone or, you know, whatever, doing some kind of service work. And it's just like, when is this ever gonna end? Like this is not this is not freeing at all. <laughs> no, but no. I think and you know, I, I think my personality <laughs> is Monica, but it's really that's just really a dangerous someone who's actually having a problem of a mental health issue it's just a really dangerous thing to say that you know this this you know working these steps and finding 
your higher power and, you know, all this stuff is going to give you a spiritual awakening, which will lift all of your mental health issues. It's just a yeah. really dangerous thing to say. And do you know people and who I committed suicide who were sober, Heather? I did, do you know people yeah. Who were... I did. Yeah, yeah, so did Kevin I did. and I. Yeah, actually, like eight people between the two of us we know who killed themselves sober. Wow. I knew, I knew like three and one very close to me, and it was, it was you know. It's just, That's too many, well, right? Also, it's way too yeah. many. And, and when you think about the um, the way that, I mean, this is a whole other topic, but the way that they treat that the topic of people committing suicide in AA is just, uh, it's just, it's, it's horrid, you know. I mean, I remember yeah, I think when was, my, yeah. no, go ahead. No, 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 you go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say when my no, it's okay. When my um, I had a very close friend. I was like I said, I was in my twenties, and I was a little bit older than she was, so she was like twenty three, and she had just committed suicide. And um, oh, no. one of the reasons is she fled AA. She had had or AA and NA because she and she had some really no help for her at that point because this was during the nineties. There was there were no other programs basically, mm-hmm. and she killed herself. And I came, I remember coming to a meeting, you know, a few days afterwards, and I was sad about it. I mean, obviously, I was saying, you know, this is what happened, and I'm feeling really sad. And this, this, like, you know, there's always, like, this crowd of elderly, old-timers, basically. And there's this elderly woman who is a fixture in meetings, and she tore me apart. Wow. She tore me apart. She what said, did she say to you? She said, you know, when, you know, they never say you, right? It's all, it's all like yeah. this kind of sideways crosstalk yeah. kind of thing. She said, when I'm on my pity pot and I, oh. you know, when I'm, when I'm in my head and I'm on my pity pot and I'm just thinking about me, me, me. You know, I know that I need to, you know, I don't know, do something else or it's a spiritual axiom or whatever bullshit. But she really ripped me apart. Yeah, they're pretty disgusting. You know, you brought this, uh, the time is running out, but I think, my cousin had said, it says recording left. I I don't know, I think it just keeps recording, even though I only said it as an hour. So I'm just going to, like, let this finish talking to you and then try to take somebody from calling from Eastern Europe. But you gave me a great idea that I think... So the, the chapter that you brought up, which was into action, right? And I think I'm just going to do another one next week, right? And we can go straight to that yeah. because there's some really the part that so you have you know the promises which I actually always hated. It's not weird. I always hated the promises. <laughs> like I, like I had a pink cloud. <laughs> I was first sober. I did. I had a really great pink cloud. I was euphoric and all this other shit. But the one it says. It is easy to let up on the spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. And I'm going to keep that for, like, next week because it's a really sick mind fuck here. And I want to – maybe you'll maybe have you call in first. We can talk. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm going to try to – thank you, Heather, for calling in. Absolutely. And I'm going to – yeah, I'm going to let you um, go here. And I'm going to try this number that I might be – I don't know who it is, but we're going to try it. All right. I'll see you Good in um, Facebook land. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Monica. All right. Bye-bye, Heather. Okay. <laughs> so there we go. And let's see if we can take this caller. Hello, 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 hello. Let's see if it's working. Hello, it's Monica. Who is the caller? Hi, Monica. This is Valerie. Uh, who is it? Uh, Valerie. 
Oh, Valerie. Oh, my God. Yeah. Hi. Yeah. How it are you? Like it's a Valerie. I was like, wait a second. Yeah. Who's Valerie? I don't know who's close. Valerie, how are you and doing? There might, there might be a little time lapse because I'm calling from the UK at the moment. I know. You're calling from Ireland, which I'm just Well, I, just I live waiting in Ireland, come. but... But I'm stuck in lockdown in the UK at the moment. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. I came over here to have some surgery and got stuck in lockdown. So oh my I can't God. Moment. I, but I'm, I'm but can't you here. take a COVID test and go home? It's a bit risky. You know, and all the airports have closed now in Ireland. Because I live on the west coast of Ireland. And yeah. uh, there's only two airports there, and they have closed down until next March. There's no planes going in or out. So if what? I went into Do- if I went into Dublin, I'd have to travel the full length of the country over. So you know how you can't go from one county to another and stuff like that. So I'm just going to hang out with my parents and brother for a while. There's, wow. no, there's nothing more I can do about it, you know. But there are some people stuck in hostels and. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's I'm sorry to hear that. So, so I'm actually ringing from England, but I I live in Ireland. <laughs> okay. Right. But, so um, you have to. Sh- sorry. Go, go ahead. ahead. No, there's um, a delay, no, but I, I'm just so stunned yeah. by what you just told me about the airport. But tell me, I mean, I, you have a lot of history yeah, too with AA. Yeah, the airports are closed. But what I wanted to talk about, um, well, just to, to mention was, you know, because I was in the AA for ten years. And my children yeah. were small when I was in there. And, you know, I was told, now, AA isn't as bad in Ireland. And when I mean it's not as bad in Ireland, what I mean is there aren't as many meetings because when you're out in the country, you know, like the town where I was from, there was one meeting a week, and that was it. Yeah. You would have to travel then, you know, because yeah. it's all yeah. ru- it's it's all rural, like where, where we live. Anyway, wow. um, I went to rehab, like, a few times, and um, in the rehabs over here, they try and convince you a lot about bringing in your family. You know, the family disease, you know, model yeah. type thing. Oh, and, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like we have five children and both my husband, wow. you know, because my husband like hates talking in groups, even now, like he wouldn't do it. And, yeah. um, you know, he dragged himself and our five children you know, to all these meetings, the kids hated it. They hated hearing wow. things like, oh, well, if your mom is an alcoholic, if your dad becomes an alcoholic, you'll definitely, because you get 50% of your genes from your mom and 50 oh from me. And they That's right. Of, and it, 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 affected, it, it affects them even to this day, even though mm. I work now in harm reduction. And, you know, like, because I work with women in harm reduction and jewels. Yeah, yeah. And stuff like that. Yeah, we were going to do a show together. Maybe we do one now. Yeah. And the Mm -hmm. the kids totally get that. You know, they understand that. But these these things, because this went on for 10 years. So they would go to meetings and they would hear things, you know, about disease and, you know, uh, how they would get it. And mom has, has a disease. And they'd be saying, mom has a disease. And she can't help it, but this is how you fix it. So that was very, that's very confusing for fucking kids, like, isn't it? Right, right. Yeah, that's really bad. Yeah. And um, we actually wrote a book about it, the, you know, the whole really? family. Yeah, and I'll wow. send you the link and just give it out to everybody, you know. Um, yeah. Any, send me the link. To, yeah, yeah, it's called Come Back When You're Sober. But anyway. Um, Great. 
Yeah, myself, my husband and our five children, we all wrote our, and it, and it's really funny because there's seven stories that are all the same, but they're the different interpretations. And well. the children talk about their experience in rehab. And these are just kids talking about their well. experience in rehab, commenting meetings, and me me saying to them, because, you see, I would be told in in rehabs and in meetings you know if you don't get your kids involved or if you don't if you don't do it as a family it's not going to work so i would be at home you know you know and and you know dragging them kicking and screaming a lot of the time do you know because i thought i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna fucking die if my kids don't get on board here or if my husband doesn't get on board here and i i was forcing them to do this to try and save my own life because I, I didn't want wow. to die at the time. And it's like what your last caller said there. You know she said, you know how she was talking about how it consumes your life. It yeah. literally yeah. It consumed a lot of my day. Because I'd get up oh, in the morning yeah. and I'd have to pray and all that kind of stuff. And then I'd get the kids praying. And and you know what? We don't do any of that shite no more. Do you know what I mean? Now, they're all grown up now. The eldest How old are they now? 33 to 17. Do you know? Oh, my God. Um, yeah, and they're all grown up now. And one of them is actually a psychotherapist, and oh she's like, look, she looks at the AA book, and because I still keep an AA book uh, in my on my bookshelf, just because of my the work that I do, you know, so then I can reference yeah. back to to yeah. others, you know, because women come to me, and they're so bogged down with AA, and I, you know, sometimes I pull out the book and I, and I might read a little bit and say, do you actually believe that? Do you know how you were mm-hmm. you were doing it this evening with your first caller? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> we have to do a show, you and I. Yeah. We were trying. Well, we were going to do it so you could talk about your work. Maybe now that yeah. I have felt so drained, I couldn't do a thing. So maybe I have the energy yeah. now. I'm going to do another one next week to go into action. But you and I oh, should yeah. figure it out. We can talk through Facebook, um, and then yeah. Um, yeah, let's let's do a sh- that's. Crazy story, and you know I have to yeah, say that with my it's, sons it's too, it's very, very damaging. It's, you know? Yeah, it's yeah. very family orientated here in Ireland. It's all about the family, you know, with the AA program type thing. It's all about the fa- get your kids involved. Like we've even gone to functions where they've you know thrown parties and things like that, where you have to bring your kids. Yeah. And 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 it's almost like, do you know how they're trying to recruit them as young as three and four years old? Yeah, do you know, do, into the program. Yeah. Hawaii yeah, was like that. Yeah, yeah. New York wasn't yeah. really. Hawaii, New York wasn't at all. They didn't like kids at the meeting. But when I went back yeah. to New York, but when I first in Hawaii, in the Hawaiian group that I was part of, very much mm-hmm. like that. And I know in Ohio, it's like that. And it's very, very sad. But I'm yeah. glad you got out. Yeah. How many years now have you been gone? Um, oh God, twelve. About 12 years out of there now, I think. I was 10 years in, about 12 years out now. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So, but but it, but it's been, it's been great. You know, it was actually a psychiatrist that told myself and my husband after I had a suicide attempt and I was like, I can't go back, I can't go back. And oh. um, he said to us, both myself and my husband, he just said, he said, I'm going to tell you, he said, in your own language, so then you'll understand me. And he said, get the fuck out of AA. And both my <laughs> husband and I sat, yeah. Well, we sat there and we were completely shocked. And my husband went, what do you mean? And he said, 
if she, you, there's no growth. There's no, right. you know, you just That's go right. and you do the same thing and there's no growth. So he took yeah. me out of uh, AA and he put me in, because I do really well in groups, you know, because I like yeah. to AA. And I do really well. I don't rate well. I was doing really well. I just couldn't get fucking sober. <laughs> <But anyway. laughs> <laughs> so he said, I'm taking you out of AA, he said, and I'm putting you in a mental health group, you know, which terrified me because I thought wow. I was going to be safer in AA. But I was actually safer in the mental health group because it was facilitated with proper counsellors and facilitators, and it was oh. much safer in the mental health group. And of in course. the mental health group, they told me to do everything the opposite to what they told me yeah. to do in AA. So the oh first thing they said, yeah, the first thing they said was, what do you mean give up your power? The last thing you do is give away your fucking power. You keep your power. Right. And they told me how to stand up to my husband and stand up to my children. You know when you're the meek alcoholic and anybody can say anything to you because you've been so bold and so naughty and, you know, and, yeah. you're, and, and you're diseased and all that kind of way. And they taught me how to stand up and say, "Excuse me, a fucking minute here," do you know? And you know, to get my mo- to to get my mother legs back under my mother table, you know. So they, they they taught me how to do that. So I went around my house and I started kicking fucking ass, and yeah. everybody got back into line, do you know? So wow. that is the, so great. Yeah. You know what it's like when you just said that. So it's like an abusive relationship, you know? Like I'm making these yeah. jokes about living in California yeah. with them is like being in an abusive relationship but that mm. is so beautiful because it, it is one of those things as when I left I mean I kind of got away from that whole powerless thing while I was in AA yeah. right you know sometime when I was yeah. in probably six years sober and 24 years old I was like okay part of this is total bullshit and I'm gonna yeah. like find other books and stuff but your your description here is just so fantastic and beautiful accent <laughs> and Watching, they're going to show this this show Sam and Graham from Outlander, you know, and they're I guess yeah. everybody's going crazy over there too. I don't know, but it was one of the places that, as you know, we, we kept saying, "I'm coming over there, I'm coming over there with my husband." You're like, "Come see me," and I was like, and then like COVID yeah. like descended, and I'm like, "Are you kidding?" Yeah. Like ten months in, I still can't go to Ireland to see my salary. <laughs> go to Scotland, like I'm dying to go to see Outlander and Game of Thrones locations, you know, like American yeah. tourists. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you have to come because I'll be over there. Like, um, I'll be I'll be going to America because I know one thing is for sure. Like, I'm starting a whole new life for myself, you know. And yeah. uh, I had to have two surgeries done. I've just had one done, but that's what brought me to England. And when I go back to Ireland this year, I'll be having my hip replacement. And then I'll be oh, back wow. at work full full time, and I'm gung ho because Kenneth Anderson uh, has invited me over to New York, and you know he said he'd let me go into the you know the different places you know where all the, the yeah, harm reduction yeah. and introduce me to people and that, and uh, yeah, so I, I can't wait to get on that plane to America. Oh my God, yeah, but, and I can't wait to yeah. come across the Atlantic your way. But if you're in New York, you should tell me, and depending on how long come I can fly there. Once we'll, we'll travel back together and we'll go on the piss yeah. on the plane. Yeah. <laughs> you hear that, Kevin? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I'm going to wrap it up. I'm so glad you got to call in everybody, Heather and Jacqueline, yeah. and uh, yeah. and to Valerie here. It's finally, we, we connect. And uh, thank you so much for doing the show. And God bless the oh, work thank you're you. Doing.
Yeah. But besides the yeah. one I'm going to do next week, because I'm going to do another one, like a follow-up, like a part two of this, let's do one, mm-hmm. we could, I could do another night or a day, whatever, because I know you're like, it's eight hours ahead. Isn't it a crazy time in the middle of the night there? Yeah, it's, I think it's the, like five in the morning here or something. Uh, yeah, it's quarter past five here. I could do I wow, I yeah. could do one at noon here and then it'd be eight o'clock at night. Well that wouldn't that wouldn't matter. That wouldn't matter. Yeah. I was getting up for I would getting up for pee and a cigarette anyway. <laughs> okay. Okay, girl, it was great talking with you. Yeah, I'm so I glad do you escaped. Have, I, I should uh, I should talk to my daughter as well, who's a psychologist and went through the AA program with me to get her to talk about how AA affects children. Yeah, she could be on. That'd be great. Yeah. Ask her. Yeah. We'll put a time yeah. that'd be I easy mean, for you guys. I could do it at noon easily yeah. here. And then 8 yeah. o'clock there, and there's yeah. some other people from the U.K., then they would probably join. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. All right. Love you. And I'll send you on that link as well for the book. Okay. Send me the link. I'll share it in just the group. Give it okay. Yeah. All right. Perfect. Bye, sweetie. Okay, right. guys. Thanks for your time. Bye, Valerie. Good night. Bye, my love. Bye. Bye-bye, sweetie. Oh, my God. That was so nice. So we have talked and chatted so many times. Um... And, uh, oh, Kevin, did you hang up? And then, oh, Scrooge. That's right. <laughs> Scrooge is the name of the movie <laughs> where the guy's carrying around all the chains and everything. I couldn't remember it. Anyway, I went way over. What time is it? I went way over. I hope it records this last part because it was so beautiful talking to both Valerie and Heather was in that last part of the hour. So we'll come back next week and we'll continue on. And I will see you all then again. I am Monica Richardson, Blog Talk Radio, Safe Recovery. Um, you can listen on your phone or listen here on iTunes. I think wherever podcasts are, these are free. And uh, share them with your friends who need to listen. I love you guys, and um, I really enjoyed uh, tonight. Okay. Good night, everybody. Good night. I'm going to end the show right now. See you next week. All righty. Here we go. End the episode.